Well, uh, our world has a lot of ideas about truth. Uh, and it also has uh, just as many theories about love. Truth, if uh, our world says, if you cannot understand all of truth, then there is no truth, and therefore truth is just relative. And you and a group of people might agree on something that's true, and that doesn't mean it's absolutely true. That just means you guys think it's true, and that's how you live. And, and love is passive. It's just this emotion we feel. We can't control uh, how we love, or who we love, or when we love, or where we love. Um, but brothers and sisters, uh, we know that there is absolute truth. There is absolute moral truth. And there is absolute historical doctrinal truth accomplished by Jesus. Uh, and love is not passive. Right? We know what love is because uh, God is love. And we see that love in the Son becoming flesh and dying for us. Uh, we see love is actually in action. And so, I want to invite you with that introduction to turn your Bibles, turn in your Bibles with me to uh, the second letter of John. So, second John. You can pretty much open the back of your Bible and flip a few books and you will be at second John. And while you turn there, um, I'll give us just a little bit of context as we are starting this series, Truth and Love, in this second letter of, of uh, John. Uh, and so we'll be in the first six verses this week, and then we'll finish the book next week. So I'll give us a little bit of context. And the author, of course, is understood to be John the Apostle, who wrote uh, an account of Jesus' life and ministry, which we call the Gospel of John, and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he, of course, was an apostle, and he outlived the, all the other apostles. And so he was this unique, uh, he was in this unique position as he's writing these letters where he's the last living apostle. And so he's kind of this link between the apostolic era and then the post-apostolic era. And so he held this unique position and everyone knew the apostle John. And especially in, in Asia and Asia Minor, uh, you see in the, if you're at Second John, you see he, he addresses himself as the elder. Uh, and when he calls himself the elder, everyone would know who they meant. When, when someone said, the elder said, or the elder is here, they know, oh, it's the Apostle John. Uh, so it would be right that he would address himself this way. And it was also understood by many church fathers like Polycarp and Arrhenius that the elder was John the Apostle. Uh, and most likely he's in the area of Ephesus. Polycarp, uh, we learn from him, he's an early church father and he's writing tons of things uh, right before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, uh, John, with many Christians, they've kind of relocated to this area of Ephesus. So we know that uh, the church in Ephesus was planted by Paul, and then Timothy labored there a little while, and now John, in the later years of his life, uh, the elder is laboring there um, in, in Ephesus, but surrounding cities is what we kind of need to have in mind there. And we learn from John's first letter that... Uh, false teachers are calling into question, or they're, uh, at the very least, uh, reinterpreting the truly human and truly divine nature of the one man, Jesus Christ. And, and all in all, they're totally destroying the work and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And, uh, and, and we, we know from that first letter that the church that John was writing to at that time has gone through this gut-wrenching, heart-gripping split 
Because brothers and sisters who, who at least they thought tasted and seen who the, that the Lord was good, that they were walking alongside of, groups of them are leaving the church. We read 1 John chapter 2. After what we read today, you'll notice that John is talking about how these people left because they were not of us. And he's comforting these Christians in 1 John to tell them, you are of the faith. You know the truth. You do love one another. So keep on. And he's comforting them. These people who've gone through this church split. And they're devastated. There's false teachers running around. There's people who they thought were friends and brothers and sisters leaving the church. And so this is the setting that, that John wrote uh, 1 John in. Uh, and there's a similar setting as we will learn going through uh, 2 John. The, the church is, is, is not specified uh, what, what fellowship of believers he's writing to. Nonetheless, you'll notice in, uh, in verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So there we already know that John is writing for a similar purpose. There are false teachers going around. And anyway, we'll get into that. So it's, it's that we're coming into 2 John with this, with this understanding that many faithful uh, members of the church are holding on to the teachings of Christ and the apostles. And so as John assured those believers with his first letter, he's following up with a second letter to maybe that same fellowship or another fellowship. Uh, either way, the themes and the keys are the same. It's truth and it's love. And so that's why we've titled the series Truth and Love. And without any uh, further comments, let's take a moment uh, and give our attention to the Word of God, to the reading of the Word of God. His holy, infallible, inerrant words breathed out from His very being to us. Start in verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but all those who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. And we praise God today and every day for his word. Well, brothers and sisters, um, as you see, the passage breaks down into the greeting, and then those next three verses uh, are simply walking in truth and love. So we have a greeting, and then these comments about walking in truth and love. And so my outline today for us is to just walk through the text and consider what's in it. And then after that, I have two meditations for, for us. Um, and so, before we begin, I'm going to take a drink of water. And we will look to the first part of our text today, the greeting. See in verse 1, if you put your eyes there, the elder to the elect lady. We've established what 
the elder who the elder is and why he's titled himself or, or self uh, called himself the elder, but to the elect lady and her children. Um, look, there's a lot of conversation going on in history and in, through commentaries, whether this is a specific person because of the Greek there, or is it, is it just uh, kind of a, a personification of the church itself? And there, there is a little bit of debate there, but uh, we understand in the Reformed tradition this to be a local church fellowship. The lady being the church and her children being the individual members. Now look, if that makes you feel uncomfortable, the thing is, is whether it is to a lady and her children or the church, any specific believer, and especially us as the local bride of Christ here, we see these words, we accept these words, we live by these words nonetheless. And so you shouldn't feel uneasy about uh, who this letter is addressed to. Uh, because the Old Testament calls Israel the bride. Often the prophets refer to Israel as the bride. The New Testament describes the church of Christ as the bride. Um, and then the bride of Christ. Even Peter, as he's finishing his first letter, calls the church a she. Uh, and then, of course, Revelation 12 and 21, just for an example, is full of this bride language, she language. Uh, so it really shouldn't shake us up there. And, and really, when he says the elect lady... Uh, there isn't this huge greeting like Paul has these huge greetings full of, of just the, you know, the, the covenant of redemption, the eternal plan of God, and just the, the greeting. Here he just says the elect lady. And what he's communicating is, is John 10. The father has given the son people whom he's going to lay down his life for. So he says the elect lady, or hey, you brothers and sisters in the Lord by the plan of God, I'm writing to you. Um, so, so there we have that. And he says... Whom I love in the truth. So, it's like saying, Covenant Baptist Church, whom I love in the truth. Uh, what is the truth? What is the truth? Well, Jesus describes himself as the truth. In John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we do know that Jesus is, in and of himself, God. Absolute truth. He is truth. Right? He's the eternal Logos. He's God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. He is wisdom personified. We know those things. Uh, but he also, in time and space, accomplished truth. He accomplished doctrine. So this is where redemption began in the mind of God. But when Jesus put on flesh and became a man, and he lived in our place, and he died in our place, and rose again and sits in heaven now, he accomplished truth. Truth that is proclaimed. Rebel hearts like ours believe it by God's grace and we're saved. So not only is he truth in and of himself, but he accomplished truth. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is truth. This is truth that we believe in. But not only is it truth that he accomplished and is applied to us by faith when we're united to him. I want to read a few verses from uh, the Gospel of John for you that might help us. And I'm going to flip there. You can just listen. You might want to write these down. This is John 14, uh, 16 and 17. Jesus says, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him because he dwells with you and he will be in you. And then later on, in, uh, just a chapter later, this is 15, verse 26. 
Jesus says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And what is he bearing witness? What is that? that he's bearing witness about Christ, but what about him? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he rose again according to the Scriptures. He's bearing witness about the truth that he is and the truth that he accomplished. Who he is and what he did. Later on in, in 15, or excuse me, chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus says of, of the Spirit, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So I, I bring all this up to show you that how personal the truth is for the bride of Jesus Christ. It is in us. It is our salvation. It's, it's who we are. It's our union with Christ in baptism. Uh, and not only that, but let's go to 1 John. You can just flip over with me here. If you just flip a few pages. I've described to you what the truth is, but let's look to John. When John says, I love you in the truth, what does he mean by the truth? So if you're in 1 John, you look at verse 1, and we're going to read 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. This is John talking. Which we looked upon and we've touched with our hands. Who are they talking about that they've seen with their eyes and they've touched? Concerning the word of life. This is Christ himself. Verse 2. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son and Jesus Christ and we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The truth is God the Son with the life made flesh for us. Turn to chapter 3 in 1 John. Continuing on, what does John say the truth is? Chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he commanded us. I'm about to turn over again and look at church five, uh, chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes in Jesus, who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is John's definition of truth, brothers and sisters. And then lastly, verse 13 in chapter 5, I write these things to you, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It is trusting in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who He is, what He did, and loving one another. This is truth. This is truth. And so John says, you can turn back to 2 John, the second letter. 
to the church and her children and her members whom I love in the truth. This is the truth, guys. This is the commandment. This is love. And he says, not only I, but all those who know the truth. And he's talking here about the unity we have in the truth as we love one another. So let it be known that the love that we have for one another, it is only in the truth. Unity and love in the church is based upon truth. Otherwise, it's not Christian. It is not Christian love. It is not Christian unity if it's not founded upon Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did, which then empowers us and motivates us to love like he loves. And so verse 2, he says, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. And so again, let's continue this talk about love. What is it uh, that grounds our love? We just said it's the truth. So it can't be our compatibility, right? Our love is not based upon our compatibility with each other. It's not based upon our common interests and the habits that we have and the things we like to do for fun. It's not based upon our feelings uh, because, you know, we're just naturally drawn to one another. It's the truth. Our love for one another is based upon the truth. And here's what verse 2 is telling us. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's truth will endure forever. And therefore, our love for one another will last forever. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. And so if we want to grow together in unity, brothers and sisters, if we want to grow together in love, let it be for the truth's sake. We should fear having a church that is, that is full of love and few, full of unity, but it's not on the truth. We should fear that. We should pray against that. Because we want to be built upon the solid foundation of Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean that we don't have fun together and live together. That will be an outflow. But what makes our love and our unity with one another last forever and be full of forgiveness and reconciliation and love and, and bearing with one another. What makes that, what, what's going to make that happen is not that we like to golf together or that we raise our children similarly. It's Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. And so then John says, because of the truth that abides in us, verse 2, and because it will be with us forever, Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. It's grace to the guilty like us, to the undeserving like us. It's mercy for needy people, for the helpless like us. It's peace because this is what Jesus Christ has accomplished. He has reconciled us to God. And notice how John says, from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. And so he's making this point that the truth is that Jesus is one with the Father. That Jesus is God. And that God the Son has come in the flesh. So he makes that point with from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. And then he emphasizes this uh, he kind of puts this last phrase at the end, in truth and love. So grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and in love. And, you know, as doing some, some study on that, 
it's, it's kind of like, what, what did he mean by throwing that phrase there on the end? It, it could mean that because the word is in us and will abide with us forever, uh, and because of that, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us, we will uh, not leave the truth and we will love one another. Like, that, that could be what he means, that because of this, holding on to the truth and loving one another will be a result. Or it could be that uh, the truth that is in us and, and God's grace and his mercy and peace that will never leave us will result in our holding on to the truth and our loving one another. Those don't seem that different, but uh, that's what I got in, in, in terms of like that, that phrase just kind of being stuck there on the end. And so with that said, we're going to move into part two, which is verses four, five, and six. So John again, says, uh, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. So walking in the truth. Although we, we do understand out of that sentence that not all of the members of this church were living consistently in that local fellowship, it gave John great joy to find that many were walking according to the truth. Notice how the truth seems to be this uh, likened to a path to be walked along. Walking according to the truth. Or it could be rendered walking according as the truth directs us. He found joy to find the brothers and sisters of this fellowship walking according as the truth directs them. But remember verse 2. Because the truth abides in us, we walk in it. It's because the truth, because we've been brought from death to life, because the truth abides in us and will forever, we walk in the truth. And so what is this at the end of verse 4? As we were commanded by the Father. The command of the Father has always been to trust the Messiah. From the very beginning of redemptive history, it was what? I'm going to send one who will crush the head of the serpent. And all the Old Testament is Israel, is God's people, hoping, trusting, looking for that one. So the commandment has always been to not only trust in the Messiah, but to love one another. And we know this because that commandment has been revealed by the Son. Right? The commandment of the Father throughout all of the Old Testament has now been revealed in the Son. And that revelation doesn't return void. So the Lord Jesus tells us lots of things about the law, lots of things about love. And when people believe, their lives don't stay the same. When people believe the truth, their lives don't stay the same. We see that all in the scriptures. Uh, and so believe it or not, uh, when we hear this revelation of the truth of Christ Jesus, we either believe it or we don't. We believe it or we don't. And if we don't, we are judged rightly deserving of eternal punishment in hell. But if we believe it, and then we live in disunity with one another, and we have hate in our hearts for one another, and we're not seeking reconciliation, and we're not living according to the truth, we make ourselves a liar. Now, are we perfect? Absolutely not. But to live in hard-hearted, known, unrepentant hatred of each other is not equal with the truth. And so if you are an unbeliever this morning, repent, come to Jesus, believe in Jesus this morning. 
May today be the day of salvation this morning. That you see the Messiah. That you see Jesus and what he's done for you. And believe upon him for everything. And brother or sister, if you're stuck in this unrepentant, hard-hearted sin, repent. Repent. Declare your need for mercy. Declare your need to not remain hard-hearted. And so verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, as though I were writing to you, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So we've heard it from the Father, and now he's saying that we've heard it from the beginning. Well, of course we could jump to Leviticus 19, where the law is summarized as loving your neighbor as yourself. But let's even jump to what I think John is referring to is the same thing he mentioned in chapter 1 of 1 John. That which we have seen from the beginning, which we touched with our eyes. He's talking about the beginning of Jesus' teaching ministry. So what did Jesus say, right? Well, it seems that some might have been walking in the truth and, and loving one another and, uh, excuse me, the, sorry, I fumbled there. So uh, verse 5 and now I ask you, dear lady, now as they were writing to you a new commandment, but one we've heard from the beginning that we love one another. Yeah, so this commandment from the beginning is Jesus' ministry where he's talking about what do the law and the prophets hang on? Love one another, love God, and love neighbor. Love God and love neighbor. All the prophets, all of the law hang upon this. And so truth and love are not mutually exclusive. Truth and love are mutually inclusive. It's walking in the truth that is loving one another. Walking in the truth is loving one another. And so the problem that we can fall into is when we think that faith or the truth is only intellectual, right? And, and, and we fall in this trap to think that love is only a feeling. And here's what I mean. Faith, truth, I'm connecting that with faith, is not just I agree with the truth. When we, when we hear the truth of Jesus Christ and we believe it, it's, we have a new nature. We understand the truth. We're, we're literally given, we're no longer haters of the light and lovers of darkness. We've now, we now see God, how he has revealed himself. We believe that and that changes us. That actually creates in us a love for God that we never had. So faith and love is different than just agreeing, but then also Love is not just a feeling. Love comes from faith. And if, if, if love was only a feeling, then we would totally be stuck with operating according to the how we feel. When, when we get married, it's like, I'm full of love. This is all new. And everything's good. And then, I just don't feel it today. I think I'm going to go love someone else. I think I'm just not going to be in it today. Right? No. It's because you know the truth about your spouse, about the commitment that you've made, that it doesn't matter how you feel. You're going to show grace. You're going to not judge. You're going to love them. You're going to fight for them. You're going to do what you should because you know the truth about the covenant that you've made and about who your spouse is. And so I'm, I'm making this point to show that truth and love go hand in hand. So this commandment that we heard from the beginning is that we believe the truth. We believe in the Messiah and we love one another. And one creates the other. When we grab the truth, faith and repentance is the gift. When, when, when we're brought from death to life, faith and repentance is the gift of faith.
And so loving one another in the truth is walking according to the commandment of the truth. And so remember, saints, it's because the truth lives in us, verse 2, and will be with us forever, we will walk it out. We will love one another. And so to know God is to love one another because God is love. 1 John 5, 8. Or listen to 1 John chapter 3, 23 and 24. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus and we love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And so we move on to our final verse here, verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandment. And this is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. And so in grammatical form here, John is, is iterating the reciprocal nature of love and walking in the truth. So he says first, love is to walk in obedience to his commands. Okay, verse 6. This is the love that we walk according to his commands. So love, first and foremost, is walking according to his commands. But second, his command is to walk in love. So love is walking according to his commandments. Then he says, and this is his commandments, which you've heard from the beginning. And that's what we just went over. What we've heard from the beginning is that we love God and we love people. And so that's what he's saying there. And so, uh, the law says that we must perfectly, perpetually, and personally love God. And then we must love our neighbor as ourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, is what Jesus said. And so love and the law are not incompatible with each other. But they involve each other. Obedience is love for God and love for neighbor. And so that's our time in the text. And I want to move on to, to just straight into reflecting on this. This is our first reflection. What does Jesus have to say about love and about the law? Well, Jesus, during his ministry, he opens the door to the very kingdom of God. It's one of mercy. Luke 6. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The kingdom of God is one of inconceivable mercy. Love your enemies. He says, do good to those who abuse you. These are Jesus's words. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer another. If one steals your jacket, give him your shirt. Always give to the beggar and the borrow with no interest and expect nothing in return for any of that. This is the kingdom of God. Basically, Jesus is saying, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Be impossibly merciful like God. Be impossibly merciful. This is the kingdom of God. Because God, we've heard it prayed today, God sends the rain on the just and the unjust, the sinner and the righteous. We've got food on our table and gladness in our hearts all because of the mercy of God. Think about the infinite humility of Christ to leave his robes of majesty, to leave glory and wrap himself in our flesh. And he says, have that mind in you. 
That is the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus raises the bar of the law to insurmountable heights. It's impossible for us. It's impossible for us to be that merciful. We literally can't. We need righteousness. That is supernatural because naturally we are none of those things. The world says love your friends and hate your enemies. And Jesus is saying love your enemies and do good to those who abuse you. You see, we need grace and we need mercy to be manifested in the flesh for us on our account in our place because we are not gracious like God. We are not merciful like God. And so, and so Christ on earth in his greatest teaching on the law, what is he doing? He is telling us that there is one who embodies all of his people and he does the law. Every jot and tittle. He is grace and wisdom and mercy personified for us in the flesh. And then he was killed by the law, although he was not guilty of breaking it. You see, the, all, the law always ends in death for sinners like you and like me. Because we have no ability to keep it. The law can prove us to be righteous or sinners, and we are not righteous. But Romans 7 tells us that uh, the power of sin to kill is the law. And so what happens? Christ became sin for us so that the law would kill him in our place. He represented his people by becoming us under the law and by taking the punishment of the law, although he was perfect. But brothers and sisters, the law does not have the last word. Christ is the word. The word made flesh eternally. And he did not stay dead, but he resurrected imperishable. He ascended to heaven where he is bodily present at the right hand of the Father with joy forevermore, interceding on your behalf, on my behalf. And as he is, we will be also. We will be also. And so what is impossible with man to be as merciful as God? It is possible in Christ Jesus by faith. And so although the law is too high a standard for, for you and me to obtain salvation through, the gospel of God's mercy to us in Christ Jesus reaches higher still. So Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he says in John 6, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father in heaven, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. These are the words of truth. These are the words of life because Jesus is the way. Brothers and sisters, this is the merciful kingdom of God. This is the love of God manifested to you. And this is why John in his first letter writes, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God. But God is love. And in this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world. So that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. But that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He atoned for our wrongdoings. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. The word of Christ makes us clean, beloved. And so now we live through him. And so for the second reflection, what I want us to do is understand that now we are in Christ by faith. What does the scripture tell us about walking in love? What does the scripture tell us about walking in love? I'm going to go back to the Gospel of John and read a few things for you. This is John 15, 4 through 5. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. And later on in that dialogue, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you. Jesus says, I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that that fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask... In the Father's, in, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then he says, these things I command to you so that you will love one another. Brothers and sisters, it is because, verse 2 of Second John, because the truth abides in us and will be forever. We will walk according as the truth directs us. How about, uh, remember, this reflection is about what the scriptures tell us about loving one another. So my, that, that first part is that it's because we abide in Christ, and He in us, that we will bear fruit. But how about Romans 8? The first part of Romans 8, it says, For the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Because the law had no power to make you keep it. The law of sin and death said you must be perfect or you die. And none of us are perfect because our flesh is weak and the law can't help us to keep it. It doesn't matter how detailed we get. The more detailed the law gets, it doesn't help. It makes things worse for us because it has no power to help us because our flesh is weak. And so God sent his son in the likeness of our sinful flesh, and he was made a sacrifice for sin. Why? Verse 4, in order that the law of love might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but by faith according to the Spirit. 
It is because all of our sins have been washed away. It is because in Christ Jesus we have a new nature to live by. That we are free from the, the condemnation of sin and we're free from sin's power. Sin's present is, presence is still with us. We're still in the flesh. It's not until glory when we see Christ with our own eyes that sin will be gone. But here's the thing. Although we still have the old nature, in Christ Jesus we have a new nature. We have a new nature to walk and to live by. And actually walking according to that new nature is freedom. Freedom is walking in Christ. Walking as the truth directs us. Matthew Henry says it so well. The righteousness of the law is not fulfilled by us. But blessed be God, it is fulfilled in us. In us by faith. The law is fulfilled and we walk according to it. And uh, going back to John, in uh, chapter 13, he records Jesus saying in verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, it's a new commandment, number one, not because it, it's different, no, it's the same commandment. Love me and love each other. But what's new about it? Well, it's new because the church is going to be established in the primary way that you and I exhibit or exercise life in Christ is by loving each other. Loving one another in the local church has now become primary. It's not the exclusive way, but it has become the primary way that we exercise life in Christ. By the way, we love one another in the church. And then number two, it's a new commandment in that we know what love is. Christ laying down his life for his enemies. And so he says, love each other, but love each other this way. The king of glory left heaven and put on flesh and suffered and died. And rose again for you. Love each other that way. Love each other that way. So it's a new commandment in that way. And then lastly, just to kind of hopefully uh, put the cherry on top of, of what does the scripture say that we would love one another? As I flip to uh, Romans here, I'm going to read a few of the epistles and how they guide us to love one another. The thing I want us to see is that when you hear the words walking in the truth, are you walking in the truth? First thing, you should think, do you trust in Christ alone? Second thing, are you loving one another? It's that simple. It's that simple. I mean, that's really hard because one, we can't create faith in ourselves. And the love that comes from faith, we also can't create. Right? It's because the truth abides in us. It's a gift from God. We will walk according to it. And so, Roman, uh, excuse me, uh, Galatians Sorry, I'm flipping all around here. This is uh, Galatians 5:13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So again, walking according as the truth directs. What would that mean? Don't bite and devour one another. Love one another. Seek reconciliation. Why are we holding grudges when all of our sins have been washed away and we didn't do anything for that? 
Your brothers and sisters' sins have been washed away by grace just like yours had. Don't hold a grudge. Forgive it. Let it go. We're all suffering on this path together and we don't need to be each other's enemy. And then later on in verse uh, 22 of, of chapter 5, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And so those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. That's truth. In Christ Jesus by faith you have died to your old self. And if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I know everyone's like, alright, so tell me how to keep in step with the Spirit now. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's because we have the truth and it will abide with us forever that we walk according as it directs. And so we look at our lives and ask ourselves, how are we loving our brothers and sisters? How are we loving our brothers and sisters? Are we bite and devouring one another? Are we provoking one another? This might be one of my favorites, Ephesians 4. Uh, this is the first few verses. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have been called. With all humil humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So if I called you, hey, let's walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is what we're thinking of. Humility with each other. Gentleness with one another. Bearing with one another. And then lastly, is the Colossians chapter 3. Starting in verse 8. But you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Listen, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which, abind, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Look, our salvation doesn't depend on us walking out love. It'll happen... Our salvation doesn't depend on obedience to the law. Our Christian freedom does. You want to be free, brothers and sisters? Put on humility, meekness, patience, self-control. You want to be free? Look to Jesus. Look how selfless Jesus was as he stood in your place. Hope only in him. There's no need to hold grudges. There's no need not to forgive one another. See, our neighbor's good. Your brothers and sisters 
your good depends on us walking according as the truth directs us. That others might see the way that we love one another and glorify our God in heaven depends on us walking according as the truth directs. And so I'll conclude with, uh, open my Bible back up here, with what John says. If I were to reiterate 4, 5, and 6, it's this. Love, 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 love. Christ has done it all. Christ has done it all. Love, love. And, and listen, brothers and sisters, as a, as a pastor of this church, it is a joy to find that you guys love one another. That you do bear with one another. That you do care for one another. It's a joy to know and to see some of the ways that you all fight for one another. That you fight for the truth in each other. That you cherish one another. You want to see each other living according as the truth directs. Keep doing that, brothers and sisters. It's a joy to see you guys give gentle ears to each other. To give tender helps to each other. It's a joy to know that you guys earnestly pray for one another. Do that all the more. It's a joy to know how generous you all are with your money towards each other. It's a joy to know how thoughtfully kind you are to one another. Look, we don't learn love to earn or to maintain or to keep God's love. He has sealed the deal and it's with the, with the blood of Jesus that you are his forever. It abides in us and it will be with us forever. And so verse 2 says, because it abides in us and it will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and in love. Let's pray.